Well, good morning, Common Ground Durbanville. It is so great to be in the pulpit again and uh, preaching to you this morning. If you're a Common Grounder, uh, if you're a guest with us, so good to have you as well. It's a real privilege to be in the pulpit uh, speaking uh, in this amazing series we're busy with uh, called uh, Citizens. I don't know about you, but the first two weeks have been so helpful to me as I think about uh, just uh, the slow but sure re-emergence back into society and back into the real world, which uh, is uh, so much the same and yet so different in so many ways. And I uh, hope you enjoyed that little uh, pre-video, um, a whole lot of fun there, but it, but it really does introduce what we're going to be speaking about this morning. We're going to be speaking about uh, how to be citizens in a polarized world, citizens in a polarized world. And just to remind you, the big idea of this uh, series uh, is that as Christians, we have this incredible um, privilege of not just being citizens of the country and the world we live in, but actually finding our primary citizenship in heaven, what we call our big C citizenship, because we're citizens of heaven. Um, so much of our citizenship here where we live is informed. And when we get those things the right way around, when we primarily uh, find an identity as citizens of heaven, and that really informs the way we live out our citizenship here and now. So let's talk a little bit about uh, being citizens specifically in a polarized world. I know I don't need to take a lot of time to convince you that the world we live in, the society we live in is so polarized. There's so many just debates and extremes going on. We think of Brexit that happened. Uh, we think of red and blue politics in America. I'm um, closer to home. We think of just uh, uh, some some. Uh, protests and uh, some debates that are raging at the moment uh, that find themselves uh, based in things uh, far less trivial than the chocolate log or pineapple on pizza. Um, just just uh, real debates that really matter. And we find ourselves just um, engaging in these in our friendships, in our families, but also on social media. It's like there are all these different forums and contexts where we experience these, this radical polarization. And uh, we know that opinions are strong, and there are many experts out there telling us exactly how it works. How ought we to respond in a time like this? I love what Dan White says about polarization. He says, polarization often takes people that have something in common. It emphasizes their differences. It hardens their differences into disgust, and it turns their disgust into blatant hatred. It creates two sharply contrasting groups and pits them against each other, shaping us for only two options, our side and their side. It's a suffocating social arrangement. Polarization is a power and principality. And so you would know that even if you're a Christ follower, that even Christ followers find themselves on opposite sides of arguments, and often things can actually get a little bit nasty, particularly on social media. What ought we to do about these things that really do matter? Maybe you are wired, maybe your temperament is the kind that just says, man, I don't have time for all that stuff. These extreme opinions, I leave it to others to fight it out on social media, I kind of sit in the background, rolling my eyes a bit, um, shaking my head a little bit, and I just stay out of it. But I want to suggest that that is not necessarily a, a Jesus-following example either. I mean, think about the Jesus that we follow. This is uh, the Jesus who comes to earth 
and, and himself is pretty controversial. Himself uh, is the one who stands up and uh, is not afraid to say, you have heard it said, and yet I say to you, you have heard it said. And he states the cultural norm, and he says, but I say to you, and he brings through a radical, controversial statement. In, in fact, many statements. We're going to look at a few of them this morning. And so as we follow Jesus, it's probably not uh, the best way to emulate him to just stay out of things. Uh, uh, what he teaches and how he calls us to follow really does matter and really does lead us to have our own opinions. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning. There are things that Jesus teaches us to do. How do we live those out in such a polarized world? If you're a Christ follower, you've probably realized as you read the Bible that there are no smorgasbord ethics in the kingdom of God. Actually, Jesus calls us to some ethics. He calls us to some positions that we ought to take. Listen to what uh, Tim Keller says about this idea of our beliefs. He says, you can't get excited about what the Bible says about justice for the poor and not get excited about what the Bible says about sexuality or be strongly anti-abortion but not strongly anti-racism. At that point, you're really not letting the Bible animate you. You're letting culture animate you. You've just got to immerse yourself in the timeless truths of Scripture because these four things all go together, by the way. Tim Keller is pointing out something really interesting. There's the, kind of, if you're a Christ follower, <laughs> that there are these definite uh, values that the Bible puts forth that you ought to live, and you'll never find a specific uh, political party or a specific Facebook group that will perfectly represent these all. How do you live these out? And how do you live them out when there's such intensity, when you live in a world uh, where there are these people on the two sides with fundamentalist zeal, each seeing the other side of the argument as the enemy. And, and there are consequences as well. Each of these uh, uh, people is kind of, in essence, preaching. They're saying to you, I want you to follow along to my utopia. If you live like this, I mean, if you behave like this, if you believe these things, it will take you to the right place. And if you, if you live in the opposite way, it's going to take you to a really bad place. How do you live when there's so much at stake? Here is the loudest question going out. Uh, in the culture we live in. Uh, culture demands of you to answer this question. Whose side are you on? Are you on this side or that side? Are you on my side or their side? Which side of the argument do you fall on? And this morning, I want to suggest to us that there's a far better way to live than to answer the question, whose side are you on? I believe Jesus Christ asks us not to, not to figure out what side we're on and what opinion we hold and which team we support. I believe Jesus Christ calls us to follow after Him in His way. And so the question is not are we for this or against this. The question is what is Jesus doing and how do I get behind that? We're talking about being big C citizens. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus Christ is the ultimate big C citizen. He's the one that comes from heaven. He comes with a fullness of understanding what heaven is like. And, he, and he, he lives his life with great conviction as a result of that. And he says to us, follow after me. Maybe in the season you've lost the plot a little bit and you've become so zealous about sides of arguments and who's wrong and who's right. I believe this morning um, Jesus is just wanting 
to with great conviction just call you back and say, hey, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Lay down all the arguments. Lay down all the extremes. Lay down the angst and follow me. Learn what it is to be a citizen of heaven lived out here on earth as you follow after me. And that's why I'm going to make three points this morning. They're all challenging. And yet, after each one, I'm going to pause. And just we're going to take a moment just to pray and ask God to make us these kind of followers, these kind of citizens. And so these are the three marks I believe Jesus calls us into in terms of citizenship as we follow after him, the ultimate big C, citizen of heaven. The first point I want to make this morning is this. In Jesus' kingdom, citizens are being radically transformed and destructive anger is giving way to life-giving gentleness. You see, in in Jesus' kingdom, we find ourselves following after somebody who is asking us to lay down destructive anger and replace it with life-giving gentleness. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading three portions of the scripture. He says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus has something really strong to say to the sense of outrage we live with in this day and age. Listen to what Scott Saul says about this idea of outrage in our culture. He says, in our current cultural moment, outrage has become more expected than surprising, more normative than odd, more encouraged than discouraged, more rewarded than rejected. Outrage undergirds each day's breaking news. It's part of the air we breathe, a native language a sick helping of emotional food and drink to satisfy our hunger for taking offense, shaming, and punishing. Outrage has become something we can't get away from, partly because we don't seem to want to get away from it. Instead of getting rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, as Scripture calls us to do in Ephesians 4, we form entire communities around our irritations and our hatreds. I hope I'm not the only one being deeply challenged by how much I drink in culture's need for me to be outraged about everything all the time. I'm not saying there aren't things worth being outraged about, but if I'm honest and I look through just what goes on in my heart as I scroll through social media feeds, I believe Jesus wants to replace a whole lot of unrighteous anger with life-giving gentleness. I know that I'm being a little sea citizen. I know that I'm just being a citizen of this city and this country and this world. When when I'm so easily outraged, when I'm so easily angered, when, when I so easily rise up with an attitude that just says, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. This person, uh, I wish I could just give them my opinion and uh, tell them how it really is. That's when I know it's time for 
the big C citizen, Jesus, to get hold of my heart and for me to uh, freshly engage in following after his way. You see, this is the thing about Jesus, um, is uh, his primary concern is not what opinion you hold and even which side you fall, as important as those things can be. Now, this is what Jesus is concerned about as he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. What kind of person are you? What kind of heart do you have? What kind of person are you becoming as you follow after whatever it is that you're following? Scott Sauls makes another incredible comment out of this scripture, Proverbs 15, verse 1, which says, A soft answer turns away anger. This is what he says about that. He says, those of us who identify as Christians have been given a resource that enables us to respond to outrage and wrath in a healing, productive, and life-giving way. This is it. Because Jesus Christ has loved us at our worst, we can love others at their worst. Because Jesus has forgiven us for all our wrongs, we can forgive others who have wronged us. Because Jesus offered a gentle answer instead of pouring out punishment and rejection for our offensive and sinful ways, we can offer gentle answers to those who behave offensively and sinfully towards us. But make no mistake, Jesus' gentle answer was bold and costly. His gentle answer included pouring out His lifeblood and dying on the cross our gentle answer will be costly as well. We must die to ourselves, to our self-righteousness, to our indignation, and to our outrage. See, this is an incredible resource that Scott Saul speaks about. The fact that Jesus has been so incredibly gentle towards us in all of our wrongness, in all of our hostility, in all of our inconsistency. I mean, this is what should daily resource us with an ability to be refashioned away from unrighteous anger and towards life-giving gentleness. And so I'd love to take a moment, I don't know about you, but I'm challenged when I read that. I, I'm challenged by some of what I've said on social media. I'm challenged by some of what I've thought as I've read others on social media. I'm challenged to be someone who is able to bring a costly and a bold gentleness more often into the world that I inhabit. And so uh, feel free to just join me in a moment of prayer as we think about what it, what it means to follow Jesus in this way. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask that you would forgive me for being too easily indignant, uh, too easily just worked up at people's opinions and the fact that some people believe and think and behave differently than I do. I want to pray that you would, without uh, me having to, 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 to lay down convictions and things I care deeply about, I want to pray that by your Spirit you would show me somehow how it is that Jesus walked this earth and lived as a man with deep convictions and yet with uh, unmistakable love to everybody around him, gentleness in situations where people would have expected wrath for the glory of your name. Amen. And so that's the first thing. The second thing, I believe it means to follow Jesus, the big C citizen, is this. In Jesus' kingdom, citizens are learning to love and speak only the truth in respectful ways. 
Listen to how Jesus puts this. Matthew 5, again, verse 33. It says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you should not swear falsely, but shall perform to, to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Powerful, powerful words. Apparently, the context of that scripture was that there were rabbis who were teaching that it was incredibly important to maintain utter honesty with God, but it wasn't quite as important that you uh, maintained honesty among other people. They were just people. They weren't God. And Jesus steps into this reality and he says, you need to have the kind of integrity that doesn't require you to say, hey, I swear by this or I promise that or I fully commit. You should be the kind of person that has the kind of integrity that when you just casually say, I'll do it. I'll get it done. I won't, I won't tell anybody that. I'll uh, stay committed to you in our relationship. You should be the kind of person that people don't need to press you for more than that, some external uh, means of commitment. They know what's in your heart. and You're able to live out integrity. And so integrity is one thing that Jesus is speaking about. Yeah, he reminds uh, his followers that everything you say is witnessed by God. And Jesus would have nothing to do with this uh, teaching logic that just says, hey, uh, it's important that you're honest with God, but not so important with in, anyone around. He, he, he urges strict credibility and integrity. Everything you say should be true, and it should be beyond true. It should also be good. There's much in Scripture that says uh, the result of our words, the result of what we say, should result in people being edified and uplifted. Think about your own social media profile or things you've said in relationships. How are you doing at making sure that when people walk away from an engagement, whether one of yours on social media or in a, 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 a relationship, are they, are they better off as a result of the engagement, your words? what you've chosen to say or even share or forward or post, or are they maybe not better off? Jesus says simply, let your yes be yes, your no be no, and say those things which are edifying to those around you. One of the challenging realities, I don't know why specifically for Christians, but in this season has just been a flood of fake news and conspiracy theories. And I want to urge you to... Do your homework, and, and maybe not even do your homework, just to stay away from things that are very conspiratorial. Um, think of the ninth commandment, which says uh, that a man should not bear false witness or testimony against his neighbor. Now, that means, obviously, we shouldn't say something uh, that is false about something, but actually the heart of that uh, commandment is deeper than that. It's, uh, it's saying that to our neighbors, the way we use our words, what we speak about, should leave them filled with life and not with confusion or worry or stress. And there's so many conspiracy theories uh, flying around. And I want to suggest to you that, that th these conspiracy theories that kind of say, you, it's up to you to take down the system. Now, just, just today, uh, you freshly consider 
Jesus Christ's opportunity to do exactly that. As Jesus comes to earth and he gets this following and thousands are following after him and he performs miracles and he rises from the dead and, and, and many are following in him, he has the supreme opportunity to take down the system, to take on Rome. But Jesus Christ turns away from that opportunity as much as he knows about corruption and things that aren't as they should be. Jesus focuses the intensity of his love and his service on reaching a world, not taking down a system. And I think uh, just as the church, as Christians in general, we could do a lot better at being a lot more discerning, a lot more gracious, particularly when it comes to fake news and conspiracy theories. And, and I suggest that if we think in the context of the Ninth Commandment, um, what's good for my neighbor? What will leave the people around me, people in my proximity, better off as a result of my words and my shares and my forwards and my facts. That we'd be a whole lot better off and we'd do a whole lot of good in the world. Um, maybe you're sitting there going, yes, Bruce, preach it. I'm one of those people. I'm constantly sending people fact checks and sending them articles about how that's fake news and how they're wrong and kind of rebutting the crazy theories out there. I want to suggest to you that maybe that's not the way forward either. Jesus Christ is committed to expressing love and gentleness and care towards friends and neighbors and those around him. And as we follow in his footsteps, we should be committed to the words that come out of our mouths and out of our social media profile, that they would be both full of integrity as well as uplifting to the people around us. And so I'd love to, just before I go into my final point, just take a moment to pray about this. Let's pray together. Father, we, we want to thank you that you give us mouths and uh, tongues and the ability to formulate words and ideas and express ourselves. And we thank you for the great gift that is, the gift of influence, the gift uh, to do great good to those around us. And we want to pray that just uh, on the Sunday morning as we gather around your word, that, uh, as there's a fresh conviction, and I pray that you would help us to use these well. In this age of social media and online presence where uh, this is just a whole new level of challenge to be gracious and to be gentle and yet still uh, to influence and uh, be true to the things we believe, we want to pray for great help from Jesus Christ who we see as the ultimate example of one who is full of conviction and yet able to speak truth with integrity and yet do it in a way that is life-bringing and life-giving to the people around him, for the glory of your name. Amen. So, final point uh, for the morning. I'm sure you're feeling really challenged. Uh, in true Jesus style, he saves the most challenging one for last. <laughs> the, the third point is this. In Jesus' kingdom, citizens are learning to love their neighbors and their enemies. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5 again. He says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Those are crazy words in the culture we live in. We live in a culture that says when someone does something wrong, when someone says something wrong, when someone is out of line, cut them down. Make sure that they know and everybody around knows that this is an enemy, this idea is an enemy. 
And Jesus comes along and he says, uh, I know that uh, it seems uh, like the way the world should work is kind of karma-based. Uh, love those who love you. Hate those who hate you. I say, invest your best energies towards those who persecute you. And as I think about these words, uh, this, this is the one I know I've got the furthest to go on. I know that my heart is so wired towards just uh, gravitating towards those who see it like I see it, who are in agreement with me, um, who are right, just like I'm always right. Um, these are the people I gravitate towards. And it seems like when I take my eyes off what it means to be a citizen of heaven, that my inner lawyer is more committed to winning arguments and being right than winning people with love and respect and reasonableness and gentleness. And so we come to this point, not, uh, not saying that what Jesus is asking us to do is, is, is really hard. I, I think this is more. I think this is actually unnatural and probably supernatural. As Jesus makes this statement, I think he's escalating the Sermon on the Mount to an entirely new level. I think in essence he's saying to people, <laughs> I want to give you one now. It's going to take you way beyond your own ability. Maybe up to now you feel like you can, you can harness your energy and just do better and make some New Year's resolutions. But I want to ask you to love your enemies. I want to ask you to pray for those who persecute you. This is the way of Jesus, and this is where Jesus is so starkly and radically different from humanity as a whole. But the good news is that uh, because of how Jesus has acted, we are empowered and enthused and animated towards being able to do the same because Jesus has been so incredibly gentle towards us when we deserved wrath and deserved being treated as his enemy. How that frees us up in a whole new way to be gentle towards others, whether they deserve that or not. And because Jesus Christ comes along and he sees our sinfulness and our wrongfulness and he reacts to that not by exposing us, but by covering over all of that, we can be the kind of people that are actually able to cover over the offenses and the shortfalls of the people around us. And I'd love to take a moment, just <laughs> probably most of all on this one, just to pray together and ask God that he would continue to work in our hearts this supernatural thing, this thing that goes way beyond just our natural ability to be our good people. Let's pray together. God, as we come to this part of, this, uh, of Matthew chapter 5, we just have to be honest and say this is so far beyond us. Perhaps we can pull this off for an hour. Perhaps we can pull it off for a day. But we want to thank you. You don't call us to radically love our enemies. You don't call us to radically pray for those who persecute us out of our own strength and our own resolve. And Holy Spirit, we want to ask just that you would freshly fall on us, that you would enable supernatural love to be something that would mark our lives. As we continue in a world that's just so inflamed at the moment, as we continue in a season where everybody's feeling the pressure and the burden and the worry and the anxiety, God, we want to pray that somehow we would be able to look beyond our own needs. We would see the worry and the anxiety and the pain in people around us. And by your Spirit, we're asking that you would freshly animate us with an ability to love in a supernatural way that would show people who you really are and what you've really done in our hearts and our lives. Amen.